0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of this series from Alan Schaefer.
1: While well, we uh, reached a milestone last week, we finished Romans one. <laughs> yeah,
0: Hallelujah.
1: yeah. I Dan, Denny was asking, like, when are you going to get this thing done? <laughs> Ten weeks in Romans one. And then you looked at sixteen chapters, 160 weeks, four years. Yeah, you know. We'll be doing this halfway through the millennium.
0: We should have done June. Yeah, Jude.
1: Well, that that's word by word. See, that's that's yeah, that takes a while, Anna. Yeah. But uh, today we're in Romans chapter two, um, looking at Paul's continuing argument and really. Again, what Paul is doing here in the first part of Romans, he's laying out the case against humanity. We're all sinners. We don't like to think of ourselves as that. In fact, the S word's not really talked about much today. We talk about a mistake. We talk about, you know, well, you may, you, you know, you're not exactly right, but you know, basically you're good. Basically you're okay. I mean, look at the talk shows on TV. You know, man is good. He's just made a couple of mistakes here and there. All right. Um, but it's hard. He's a good person. And that's really underlies a lot of our modern thinking. The Bible says, however, there's something quite different, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And um, we don't like to think of it that way, do we? Because we look around and we compare ourselves, don't we? And, you know, one of the things. Um, that the reformers taught is this concept of depravity total depravity We don't like to be when you talk about depravity we don't like that word I like to use radical corruption we're all radically corrupt what does that mean you're radically corrupt how how much of you has sin affected all of you alright it's affected all of us all right, in every aspect of our lives, it's not, not. Now there are some people that are better than others, morally speaking, right? Not everybody is as bad as they could be, and we can always find somebody better than us, can't we? But the Bible says we're all sinners, and Paul is making the argument in Romans one18 to through twenty: we're all under sin; we all fall short. There's none righteous, no, not one. And he starts out in Romans 1, and we finished that last week, talking about the people who, all they have is general revelation. All they have is what they can see of God in nature. And Paul makes the argument that that in and of itself is enough to condemn somebody because they can look around and understand there is a God. We may not know what that God is, what he wants, but we know that he's there. Now, how badly does God want to reveal himself to us? really bad doesn't he okay that's one of the things God wants you to know him worse than you want to know him so he's not gonna hide himself he's not making himself tough to see and if you live up to the light that God has given you what will God do give you more you live up to the light that God gives you he'll give you more light is God obligated to do that no but he will that's way God desires to be known and Paul makes the argument in Romans 1 that the person who has no special revelation, no knowledge of God, they themselves can look out into the universe and see there is a God who created. But, you know, yeah. It's all distorted, but they know there's a creator out there. See, it, it, you had to wait until the late 1800s to figure out you don't need God. They are, but they believe there's a God. They believe in a deity. They may have many, but they, there's a deity out there. You know, until, until Charles Darwin came along and got rid of God, everybody believed in God. It was just like, what kind of God is there? Thomas Jefferson believed in God. He was a deist. He just believed that God wound the thing up and took off and left us to our own devices. All right? But every, everybody believed in God until Darwin came along and said, well, we don't need God anymore. We can explain it away. And, of course, what do you see in modern science today? You see the religion of no God. We're all a big accident. We talk about that. We're just, you know, 14 billion years ago, there was a big bang, and here we are. How do you know that worked that way? Well, we're here, aren't we? That's the best you can do, really? But, God, but <clears throat> Paul's making the argument that, listen, you can look around you and know that there is a God. And that in and of itself is enough to make you culpable. But then he turns in chapter 2 to someone who may have a better knowledge of God. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. So it's almost like Paul is writing to the Romans. He says, okay, let's talk about all of those people that you all don't know. Those are the pagan, irreligious, barbarian people. And he talks about them in Romans 1 and everybody's saying, Amen, brother, preach it. Then he says, and then he turns from them and he turns back to his audience and says, but wait a minute, you are inexcusable. Would Don Ingram say you've gone from preaching to meddling now?
2: Um, I'd like to, I, I just love adding the Eugene Peterson. Wording, so, Those people, this is verse 1 of chapter 2 and onward until verse just 1 and 2. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what
1: you've done. I like that. I like that. See, it's easy for you as a Roman Christian there listening to Paul this letter read to you. Amen, brother, preach it. You're right, preach it. You're right, amen, amen. Oh, but you're inexcusable. Whoa. You are inexcusable. The word inexcusable there is interesting. Anapologites. Apology. We get apologetics. What's apologetics? To make a defense, Right? When you put an I in front of it, you have no defense. It means you're defenseless. Okay? It's you're nailed. It's sort of like going to the court and making a story, and then somebody shows a video of you doing the crime. You have no defense. You can't make an excuse. But some of them do. Oh, we come up with it. See, we're very good at excuses. By the way, God can forgive all your sins, but none of your excuses. You know that, right? He can feel own up to it. Be a man, be a woman, look God in the eye and say, I'm I'm a fault. It's me. Adam, why'd you eat? Uh, It was her fault. Eve, why'd you eat? Uh, It was the serpent's fault. We've been deflecting from the garden, haven't we? Paul is saying to these Roman believers, you're no better than the pagan. You're inexcusable. You have no apology. You have no way of defending yourself. Because you judge, and the word judge or crino means to judge, to pass moral judgment on something. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who judges, every one of you that looks at somebody else and says, oh, they're doing wrong, uh, you, you're just as wrong. We don't like to think of it that way. See what we do is we run the comparison game, don't we? We run the comparison game. You listen to these TV talk shows where somebody does something wrong. Say, "Yeah, but," and then they give some deflection. Well, that other person did it too. Same thing when kids come in and they're caught doing something wrong. Yeah, but Billy does it. Completely irrelevant to the discussion, isn't it? We do that with God. God, those people are horrible. Well, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, but I'm not as bad as they are. I like Psalm 15, one of the great psalms. I've never heard somebody preach a sermon on that. It irritates me. I tell the pastors here. They preach through all the psalms, and they've never preached through Psalm 15. But That psalm is great, because in, in it, it says, who does God like to hang around with? And one of them says, who doesn't tell God about other people's faults. God likes to hang around those kind of people. Does God need you to inform him about somebody else's problem? No, he doesn't. Because usually when you're doing that, what are you doing? You're trying to deflect from your fault. He says, you who judge for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. See, here's the thing. Here's the problem it's a matter of degree, not a matter of sin. It's a matter of degree. And we're saying because our sin is not as open or as maybe prominent as that other person, we're okay. And God says, no, you're not okay. You're not okay because the standard is not how you compare to somebody else. Your standard is how you compare to perfection. And when we do that, we're all in trouble, aren't we? We run this comparison game. So you have people that come in and say, "Oh, immorality is horrible. You know, adultery is bad. You know, evil, 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 evil." And they go home and watch pornography. Mm-hmm. Well, really,
2: um, this Psalm 15 is short enough. If you don't
1: mind, I just want to... you want to read it in the message. I would like uh, to hear how his, his spin on it.
2: God, let me start with the right emphasis. God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? Walk straight. Act right. Tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it costs you. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this.
1: Ooh, I like that. Who does God want to hang around with? People who tell the truth in their heart. What does it mean to tell the truth in your heart? And, and to have a right understanding of you, right? A right understanding of you. See, see again. When, when we're a lot of times when we're we're caught in a sin, we try to minimize it. We try to crank it down. Well, it's not as bad as, and you can always find somebody worse than you. The sin in the garden, was it really bad? You just ate the wrong fruit, right? It was a plum, by the way. It wasn't an apple. It was a plum. I hate plums. It wasn't a bad thing that he did. Didn't murder anybody. Didn't kill anybody or anything like that. What did they do? They just disobeyed God. And that disobedience to God was based on, I don't trust God, he's holding out on me. He's not being right with me. It does. Hath God said, God's holding out on you. God's limiting your personal freedoms. Look at our world today. What, why, what's the driving force behind the moral rot in our society? I have rights. I have the freedom to do what I want to do. Because if you get rid of God, where does your morality come from? It's, it's majority vote. I remember talking to a Unitarian Universalist many years ago. And, and somehow the subject of abortion came up, and I talked about, you know, it's, it's bad. She said, well, I don't think it's bad. I said, why do you think it's bad? Well, most people don't think it's bad. I said, okay. So if, if we took a vote and most people said it's okay to murder, is it okay now to murder people? Well, no, because that's not nice. I said, well, where do you get your idea of not nice? Mm-hmm. And besides
2: abortion, murder,
1: thing. And... I know, but the point is when I'm trying to nail her on and, and she didn't have an answer. Right. Once you go down that path, then what is sin? You, yeah. you, we take a vote on that.
2: What's your yardstick? What's your
1: kind? Yeah, we come, we come up with all kinds of yardsticks. Mm-hmm on that thing paul saying you who judge another you're guilty of the same thing you say Oh, it's horrible those people that steal money that's horrible but then you go out and you don't do an honest days work for an honest days pay what are you doing ceiling you say Oh, it's horrible those people lie those people are liars and then you wheel and deal to get a good deal on something, and you stretch the truth just a little bit. What are you doing? You're lying. See, we we, we categorize things. And we try to say, well, lying, lying is bad, but stretching the truth is okay. No, it's not okay. What did Christ say? Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Keep your word. What does it mean to keep your word? I'll be there at 10 o'clock. Are you there at 10 o'clock? Or do you start rolling in about 30, 11 o'clock, depending on how you feel? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? What does God... Let me ask you, how many, how many promises of God has God kept? How many of His promises has He kept so far? All right. That's the standard. That's the standard. You keep, you keep your word. I like what it says in Psalm, he that swears to his own hurt and does not relent. What does it mean? You make a promise, and even if it costs you, you keep your word. You don't go back on it because it's uncomfortable. If it hurts you, well, I, I made a deal. I, I know. i got to follow through on that. But we like to judge. We like to do this comparison game. And Paul is telling the people here in Romans, when you do that, you're no better than Heathen guy. In fact, you're worse because what? Which? What's the problem? You know it. You have more light. My uh, Bible keeps turning itself off. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. The word "practice" there is interesting. It's a present active verb, which means you're doing it even as you speak. It's not like you did it once. You're in the process of doing it continually. So when you're telling people they shouldn't lie, you're lying all the time. You're doing it yourself. You're doing it right now at this present time. No. You're in the same category. You're in the same category, see? And and the Bible... The Bible really looks down on you judging other people now let's understand what when we talk about that <laughs> yeah but are we to? does that mean we can't tell somebody you're doing wrong no because what's the standard standard is God's word right but I can't say I can't judge your motives I can't judge your heart it's not for me to be your judge right I can point out what you're doing is wrong. There's nothing. We're told to do that. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Confess your sins to one another. So there's a sense in which we do that. But when we get to the point where we're we're sitting in judgment on other people, and a lot of that is that sinful tendency that we have to make ourselves look good, right? So if I can make them look really bad, I can look better than they are. Makes me feel good about me. It goes back to pride. The Bible says judge, but judge rightly.
2: Pastor Don always pointed out in that Matthew 7 chapter that starts with judge
1: not lest than yeah. be
2: judged. Just read a few more verses and it says, you shall
1: know them by their fruits. So you are... You're a fruit inspector. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you're
1: a You're a fruit inspector. No. Yeah. I what you said. When you get mad at somebody, you don't take it to ten other people, you take oh, it to that person. Okay. You know how you know how often that is violated? All the time. Sometimes they call it sanctified slander, right? I have a prayer request for Joe who's in an adulterous situation. Oh really? <laughs> I didn't need to know that. Why don't we just pray for Joe? You know? We do that. The, the point that Paul's making here is that we are very good at comparing. It's okay. It's easy for us to look at the heathen in chapter 1 and say, yes, preach it, brother. But then Paul says, I want you to look in the mirror and, say, and understand, you do the same things. You may not do them to the same degree, but you're doing the same thing that they're doing. You're doing the same thing. You commit these things. You, you work at it. You're committing them even as we go. Right now. And then he says, I want you to, for we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. We know that's a my What does it mean? Logic. It means you thoroughly think, you understand it, you come to a solid conclusion. You know this. You know, on the basis of reasoning and logic, God's judgment falls on people who do those things how do you know that well look at the Bible right you realize you don't get away with sin there comes a reckoning for everybody you know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things And again the word practice there means to do to they're in the process of doing it you know God's judgment falls on people who practice those kinds of sins and we talked a little bit about the wrath of God back in chapter 1, right? Isn't the wrath of God an ongoing judgment against people who commit sin? Venereal disease, is that a judgment of God? Yes. Some of the diseases, you know, lung cancer, hardening of the liver, you know, all those kinds, are those results of sin? Yeah. AIDS is AIDS. But and, uh, all sin. I mean, it's not just that, it's all of them. Obesity, the same thing, or, or, or I mean, w- we live in a fallen world, and, and God's built moral rules into the universe, and when you violate those, there's a price to pay for those. When you see people committing immorality all of the time, there's a price to pay on that. It may not be evident at that point in time, but it, there's a payday coming.
0: We're all in sin. Yes.
1: Because
0: I've sinned I have
1: cancer. Right, right. You don't want to go there. No, that's right, right. And you don't want to tell somebody, oh, I, I, so you have this problem, that means you're a sinner. Right. I mean, that, that was the whole problem with uh, who, may, who sinned, this man or his parents in John 11, right? Sometimes, we live in a fallen world, so we're going to get sick. Some, every one of us in here is going to get a terminal disease someday and die. Different ones, Right. That's part of the fall. That's part of the curse. doesn't mean you're a worse sinner than somebody else necessarily. We all live under the curse. But in a general sense, a lot of the ills and a lot of the trouble we see in society is because of what? We have rejected the law of God. Why do we have chaos in our world? Men reject God. When you don't play by God's rules, what happens? It doesn't work out very well, does it? Yeah, we live under the curse. It doesn't work out. And he says, but do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them themselves, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? See, we think when God shows up, he's going to judge those people. But what does Malachi say? book of Malachi is an interesting one, end of the Old Testament. And God says, you know, you want me to come back and judge. Do you understand if I come and judge, I'm going to start with you and work outwards? We're not going to start with the pagans. I'm going to start with you. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a vision of a man with an inkhorn. Interesting vision. God calls an angel with a large inkhorn and says, I want you to start at my sanctuary and work outward and I want you to mark the forehead of everybody who, I I want to get this right, everybody who is distressed over the condition of Israel. Then he calls another angel in there and says, I want you to go after him and anybody who doesn't have the mark, I want you to kill him. But where does God start? He starts in the sanctuary and works outward. He doesn't start out there and works in. He starts in and works out. See, we have this idea when God shows up, he's going to judge all those bad people out there and then, you know, pat me on the back because I'm so great. That was the Pharisee's idea. God was going to come back and congratulate them for being so fastidious to the law. And Christ says, no, God's going to start with you. Again, if you walk into a room full of screaming kids who are raising Cain, which ones do you go after first? your own you don't start with the other ladies kids you start with your own kids and you go from there yeah but he's saying don't you don't think that you're gonna escape the judgment of God don't think that you're gonna escape by this thing in fact it's going to be worse for you you think you're gonna escape the judgment of God Mhm-hmm Yeah yeah, Malachi is, a, you know, because again, Israel's thinking, you know God's going to come back and judge all those bad people, and God says, "No, I start with you. I'll start at the house of God. And if the righteous be saved, what will ha- if the righteous barely be saved, what's going to happen to the ungodly? See, th- th- throughout the Bible, God is always saying, don't worry about that guy worry about this one. Worry about the guy you see in the mirror, the man or woman you see in the mirror. Worry about yourself. He calls us to personal responsibility because, again, we like to compare ourselves. We like to say, well, what about that guy? At the end of John, you know, Christ recommissions Peter. Well, what's Peter's, one of, Peter's first question? What about John? Christ says, what about, what's the matter to you? If I want him to stick around till I come back, what's it to you? So now the rumor goes that John's not going to die until Christ returns. But they missed the whole point. Christ is saying, look at yourself.
2: That's been a newly relearned lesson that I have <clears throat> newly relearned. Uh, frustrated with a couple situations uh, in family and such. Where I was, the Lord had to sit me in the corner with a timeout and remind me. Back in the day, you were guilty of the same thing. So get a grip here yeah. and show more, show more patience, more love, more. I mean, and I said yes, sir. <laughs> no, because just because we are growing in the Lord and leaving. Some old things behind, as we should be doing. We mustn't get so high and mighty that we look down our nose at somebody else. And I had to relearn that recently.
1: I love that point that you just made because the problem is, is if you've been a Christian for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I've been a Christian now for going on fifty-five years, probably. So I don't. So I don't. I. I can't. I don't know the exact date, but it's a long time. And. um it's easy for me to look at somebody and say, what's wrong with that idiot? Yeah. I wanted to forget that I used to be that idiot. Okay. I still am.
2: <laughs> really
1: see, we got the theologian, we got the guy that keeps you humble.
2: Alright? Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. But the whole point there is you're right. We, we, we think, what's wrong with that idiot? Don't they see it? Well, no, they don't see it. But, you know, there was a day when you didn't see it either. All right, That doesn't mean it's right, but it just means that we need to chill a little bit on some of this stuff and not be so judgmental and harsh and critical with people. Because it's easy, if you've been a Christian for a long period of time, it's very easy to be critical with somebody who's struggling with a sin or an issue and lose patience with them. And we can't do that. We, we need to help them, but we can't do that. But God always says, I want you to look at yourself. I want you to think of yourself first. Galatians chapter 6 says, um, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, go restore him in a spirit of meekness and fear, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It doesn't say, don't do anything. But it says, what are you supposed to do first? Check yourself out. By the way, God does not say, don't take the beam out of your brother's eye. What's he tell you to do first? Take the splinter out of your own, and then you can see to take the beam out of your brother's eye. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But but you're right. We 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 if we've been a Christian for any period of time, it's very easy for us to be very judgmental and critical. I remember a situation in this church, I might have related it in here about, you know, one somebody committed felon immorality in the church, and I had a meeting with uh the pastor. David Walls, myself, and this other individual, and this individual was incensed that we didn't have this guy's head on a pike, you know, on the, next to the pulpit the next Sunday, you know. How, I, we want his head right there on the, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, what is this going on here, you know, just very angry about this thing, like, why, you guys are way too soft on this guy, by the way, he lost his job, so it wasn't we're easy on the guy, that wasn't the point, he was just like, why didn't you do more? And I remember leaving that meeting, and I remember Dave telling me, he says, you know, he said, there's something else going on here. I don't know what it is, but this doesn't make any sense. His reaction just way off the beam on this thing. And a few weeks later, we found out while he was saying that, he was himself committing immorality, living with another gal. Later on, he divorced his wife and left the church. So while he's sitting there decrying that we need to have this guy's head on a pole, He's doing the same thing. It's like, it is. And 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 I, I I'll admit I'll, <clears throat> one of the things that was interesting there is, is and, you know, I think Dave was right. David Wells was right. When you see somebody completely overreact against a sin, usually it's because they're doing the same thing.
0: Well,
1: told to help restore them? Restore. No. No, you restore them.
0: Yeah. Realizing that we have
1: problems
0: in our own of sin.
1: Yep. My degree's not as bad as your degree.
0: That's right, we have degrees yeah,
1: Send so in. Sin of Sin You know, and and what truth God's truth God's and that's the thing we got to understand the measuring stick is not <coughs> how do I compare to you it's how do I compare to God I'm in real trouble now I'm measuring against perfection yeah and and, and we all fall far short of that don't we i got to change the settings on my Bible here so it keeps not turning off on me. I have the, it's face detection too, so I can just look at it and it knows can that's me. That speed a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Go a little bit faster. <clears throat> listen, listen to verse 4. This is a good one. Or do you presume on the richness, riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume on that? What's it mean to presume on something? Take advantage. Take advantage. Now the word here, interestingly, in the in the text is kata katafrneo. Franeo means to think. Kata is around. Somebody who thinks around something. What do you think that means? If you think around something, yeah, you 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 talk you're not thinking clearly you're thinking around this you're 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 not paying attention to something to disregard basically are you disregarding the riches of God's grace to disregard to not to think around to not value not think rightly you're deceiving yourself now, if you want to see people thinking around, look at the average talk show, like The View or something on TV, and they're thinking around everything. All right? That's what the word here, to think around, to, to, not, to not think clearly on it, but to think around it, to, get, to never get to the, what it is you're supposed to be thinking about. He says you, you're disregarding, you're thinking around the riches and goodness and forbearance of God. What's it mean to Forbear. delay in fact this word is used um, here and in 326 Romans 326 we're going to get to that in a few years I mean months <laughs> um, it means to forbearance means I'm holding back the idea in the Greek the, the original um, secular or, or common Greek was to hold something back to, to, to restrain oneself to restrain to hold back and what Paul is saying is, don't you know that God is holding back the lightning bolts?
0: Similar
1: to patience. It's similar to patience, okay? But it's the idea of holding back, it's restraining yourself, okay? And actually, the word there for forbearance, uh, or long-suffering there, macrothumia, long to anger. Thumos is anger, but it's an explosive anger. And macro, macro thumeo means to... God is holding back his anger. He's holding back his wrath. He's, he's not exercising it. Which means that God has every right to exercise it, but he's holding it back. He's not doing it. Think about the days of Noah, Right? God shows up to Noah. I want you to build me a boat. How long did it take Noah to build the boat? 120 years. What was God tolerating for 120 years? The wickedness of man. But what happened one day? Time's up. Time's up. The picture that Paul is painting here. Think of God's wrath as a dam. And every time you sin and every time you disregard God's word and every time you don't pay attention to things, what's happening to the pressure behind that dam? It's getting just a little bit bigger. Getting a little bit bigger. Someday what's going to happen to the dam? It's going to collapse. And you're going to feel the full weight of God's wrath. He's saying, do you understand that God is holding back his wrath against you? Yes, God is holding back his wrath. Christ said that in, in, um, I think it's Luke chapter 14, they come and ask him, hey, what about those guys that the Tower of Siloam fell on? Were they worse sinners? How about those guys that Pilate came in while they were doing their sacrifices and slaughtered them and mingled their blood with their sacrifices? What about those guys? And Christ did not say, yeah, they were worse than you guys were. Well, they were really bad. What did Christ tell them? except you repent, you all likewise perish. Now that's his way of saying, the question is not why did they get judged. The question is why don't you get judged? What makes you special that God's wrath doesn't fall on you? It's easy for us to go out and look in society and say, why did that big catastrophe happen? The question is, why didn't it happen to me? Yeah. You deserve, you know, you deserve it. You know, I remember when Donna got cancer, you know, the qu- some people said, you know, are you mad with God? Why am I mad with God? What should I be mad at God about? Well, why did it happen to her? Well, why doesn't it happen to me? Why, did, why do I get a pass on this thing? We don't know what God's purposes are. And Christ is basically saying, don't go around trying to figure out, well, why did that catastrophe happen? Why did that catastrophe happen? And I remember, you know, when they have these certain catastrophes, you get some wags on TV and these guys saying, well, it's God's judgment again." How do you know that? Did God tell you that? You don't know that. Well, when Kachina hit, you had a bunch of guys say, well, that's God's judgment against America for homosexuality. Oh, he told you that, right? He appeared to you and told you that? I don't think so, Jerry. No, God doesn't do that. You don't know that. We don't have a prophet now that can tell us why this happened. It's a general outworking of God's wrath, right? But I don't know why God does what God does, and I don't know what the purposes are, and I can't speculate on that. Or what God, allows. There's
0: still the evil that. God allows it. It's God's fault, no? In the sense, it could be because he could stop all these things
1: And it's the outworking of God's wrath against sin. If we understood how bad sin was, we wouldn't be saying something about God like, "Why did God allow that?" Yeah. Yeah. But you have
0: to
1: realize that's not all God doing these things. No, it isn't. God's not up there saying, "I'm going to send a tornado. I'm going to send a flood." We live in a fallen world; these things happen. God allows them. So, if you want to play that card, well, God could have stopped it. Yeah, He could have stopped it. He could also erase the universe and start over again with something better. You You know. He
0: could also make us all, which He started out. Yeah. He could make us all perfect. And that we all do all the right things. We don't sin. We we love Him and everything. But then, like the second
2: says, what kind of love is that? That's
0: that's puppetry.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, God has a purpose and a plan for everything He does. And what Paul is saying is listen, when you presume on God's grace. Do you understand that you're treasuring up wrath? God is holding his wrath back. And speaking of being held
2: back, in spite of how bad things are getting, uh, when I refer to 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, once again, Eugene Peterson puts verses 5 and 6 this way. Uh, of course, Paul is, is writing this. Uh, but you will also remember that I told you the anarchist. Now, let me pause. This is talking about the Antichrist, but Eugene Peterson wrote his message to a grandson who Peterson wanted to keep it simple so that the grandson could understand so he's calling the Antichrist the Anarchist. Okay. You'll also remember that I told you the Anarchist is being held back until just the right time. That doesn't mean that the spirit of anarchy is not now at work. It is secretly and underground. But the time will come when the Anarchist will no longer be held back. But will be let loose. But don't worry. The master Jesus will be right on his heels and blow him away. The master appears and poof, the anarchist is out of here.
1: God holds back. God holds back his wrath. And that's what he says here. Don't you understand? See, here's our problem. God's not judging us, so we think we're Okay. And we don't understand. We're just storing up wrath if we're not repentant. And he says, don't you know, God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. The reason God doesn't smoke you when you commit your first sin is he's waiting for you to repent. He's giving you space to repent. That's his prerogative. It's his prerogative. But don't assume, don't assume that because God is not, you know, doing something right now that he's, you know, here it is. Um, I'm going to read this, not out of the message, but out of the ESV, Second Peter 3. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm trying to remind you things. Peter talking to the people he's writing to. I want to remind you of these things. That you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets, the commandment of the Lord and our Savior through your apostles, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Oh, we see that all the time, right? Where's he at? I mean, you tell me God's going to come. Where's he at? Why isn't he here yet? following their own sinful desires. Why do they say that? Because of their sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise that's coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. For they deliberately, notice he said here, deliberately, knowingly, deliberately, Overlook this fact the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What is he saying? People say, Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? And they don't understand. Number one, He created. Number two, He destroyed and judged the world in a flood. By the way, the flood is out there. You got to go to university to figure out how to explain it away. You just look around you, you know that there's a global flood out there. Listen. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. What's God doing? Holding back. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God is holding back his judgment. Why is he doing that? Well, don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That's not a mathematical expression to determine God time. What's he saying? His time, is not our time. his time is not our time. God doesn't reckon time like we do. All right? The Lord is not slow. Listen, this is what I want to get to. This is a, just the backstory to get to where I want to go. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. God is not slow taking his time, because that's, we are we there yet, God? Are we there yet, God? Are we there yet, God? And Peter saying, it's not that God is slow to fulfill his promises. That's not, it's not like God is dilly-dallying and procrastinating. But it's patient towards you, listen, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is he holding back? Why is he taking his time from our perspective? To give people space to repent what's going to happen one day when that time is up but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with the roar the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved the earth and the works in it will be gone God's why is is God taking his time why isn't God judging you know we look around why isn't God doing something I would would say he is judging and he is doing something not in the eschatological final sense he is you're right he is judging a little bit, but the final judgment is not here yet because we're still here. Yeah, and we just keep we we just keep looking around and saying, "Well, why why isn't God going to do something? Why isn't God going to do something?" And by the way, that's the same problem that Habakkuk had. Or Habakkuk, what's his problem? God, why I'm looking around. I see poor being oppressed. I see Evil? When are you going to do something? God says, well, if I told you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me. Yeah, yeah, I'll believe you. What are you going to do? I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. What? They're worse than we are. How's that work? Finally, at the end, Acts says, well, I don't know what God's up to, but I'm going to trust Him on this one, basically. The idea is that God is... And Paul is saying here, don't you understand that... God is holding back his wrath. You look around and you think, well, I'm okay because God's not judged me. Oh, those people are really bad over there, but you know, I'm a lot better, and God likes me a lot better, and you know, I'm, I'm okay here. God says, no, you're just, you're just building up behind the dam of God's judgment. You're just building up more wrath for you because of your hard and impenitent heart. Wow, hard scler- scler- sclerosis hard sclerosis Sclerosis, where you get that sclerosis it's hard something that's been hardened you said because you're hard your your hard heart and a penitent what does that mean that's non-repentance metanoia is repent this is a metanoia you don't repent you don't change your mind you don't you don't turn by the way repentance in the Bible is it to change your mind or change your behavior its behavior now that's usually preceded by a change of mind right but you can't say, I repent, and then and not change your whole life. That's not repentance. Paul is saying, you guys haven't changed your ways at all. You know this is good, but you've not repented. You've not changed your ways. You've not changed your thinking on this. You still like, go on and do the same sins. And you're just building up for yourself some wrath. Let's say you're storing up wrath. Thesario thesaurus. You treasure it up. You're collecting it. You're just building up more wrath for yourself, man. The longer you go thinking you're all right, the longer you go judging one another, the longer you go without repenting of your own sin, you're just building yourself up a bigger payday, man. It ain't going to work out very well for you. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, on the day of wrath, Apocalyptus, the the unveiling of God's wrath There's coming a day when God's wrath is going to be revealed and it's righteous what, what kind of what do you mean by that it's perfectly righteous it's righteous judgment diacrini, dia, diacrino it is diaconia is righteous is to judge right judging because here's the thing do we judge rightly no We're extremely distorted. We're very distorted with other people, but we're even more so with us, aren't we? We do not judge rightly. We cut ourselves an awful lot of slack. We give ourselves a lot of wiggle room. All right? But what what kind of judgment is God going to give? The right kind. Because not only does he see what you've done, he sees why you've done it, your motivations, You have no defense. You know, I talk to people and say, yeah, you know, yeah, God is going to judge me, but, you know, I'll talk my way out of it. No, you won't talk your way out of it. When you stand before God, you're not going to talk your way out of this thing. You're just going to dig yourself a deeper hole. Nope. He knows, he's got your number, man. There is no he, he's got your number. When he pulls that book out, and it, you know, and that's what it says in when a Great Can White throne Judgment. No, not the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm talking about the ungodly, just ungodly. When God pulls that book out, he's going to say, okay, let's look at your record here. And some people have a pretty thick book, you know, he's going to go down through. You're nailed. You, you can't get away from that. Now, what's wonderful about us is when God pulls my book off the shelf, all the pages are blank.
0: <laughs> now why
1: Christ washed my sins away the book is blank God says okay what's the book boy there's nothing I acquitted it's not because I did it there's
2: the, book of life, but there's also the, the Lamb's
1: works. book of life in the works the
2: works books yeah
1: the and, books out of books and books. the whole idea there is God yeah. Here's the thing, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody can squeak out of this one. See, down here you can squeak out of justice. Up there you don't. And, when God, and and why is it that you have a judgment at the end of the time? Why is it that you have a great white throne? Because God wants to display to all of creation His absolute righteous judgment and that everybody gets exactly what everybody deserves. He's not being mean on people. Because see, our problem is when God does judge rightly, we think he's being mean, right? Why would God do that? Well, why doesn't God do that to you? Why do you get away with it? What Paul's trying to do here in these first verses, and we'll just stop here with these verses. Don't think you're okay, guy, because you're not as bad as those other people because you compare yourself and you think you're all right. Because what you're doing by ignoring God's righteousness, by thinking around this, by talking yourself out of it in the sense that it's not as bad as you think it is, and by not repenting of this very same sins, you're just storing up a wrath behind a dam of judgment that's going to break someday all over you. You think you're going to get away with it. You're not. In fact, for many of you, it's going to be worse because you know better. What's worse, to know what to do good and not do it, or to not know what's good and not do it? To know it. To know it. And that's where God, where He's. So we'll pick up with verse 6 next week. Let's go with verse 6. So, any comments or questions? We actually got through six verses. Be happy. No, five verses. Yeah. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time and um, time of study in your word. And uh, I think all of us are humbled a little bit, Father, because it's easy for us to look around and judge other people. We like to think of ourselves as better than we really are. We're very good at that. The Bible says here that we can't do that. We can't think of ourselves as more better than someone else because we're really not we need to think righteously and we need to see ourselves not in terms of how we compare to others but how we compare to you and when we do we're all in real deep trouble and Father I want to thank you that for those of us who came by the way of the cross the books have been erased when we stand before you someday there's not going to be any sin against us because Christ has paid it all I want to thank you for that so I pray Father that we would ponder these truths yeah, that think clearly upon them. Thank you for the study of the word and for the service. In the name, Thank
0: you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to studio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.